0: You're listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel in Oakville, Ontario. For more information, please feel free to contact us by visiting our website, HarvestOakville.ca. Love that guy? Yes, Pastor Robbie Simons has become a dear, dear special friend to me and a mentor in my life. I'm so thankful for him. As I know each and every one of you are as well, so thankful for the elders of this church, so thankful that I can call them lifelong partners in the ministry of the gospel, and it's just such a joy and a privilege really to be here with you today to open God's Word. I want to bring you greetings from Harvest Bible Chapel in Toronto West. If you're new to this church, you're not aware that Harvest Bible Chapel Toronto West was actually a church plant from here, and you planted us, and it's... Almost every week that I meet someone at our church who, who says, We're visiting from Harvest Oakville. We just wanted to come and encourage you and, and see what God is doing. And it always encourages my heart. One, pe- one person, two people, three people, every single week come up to me and say, Hey, we're just visiting and it's such an encouragement uh, to my heart. God is doing great things in our church. We are so thrilled and so excited about the life transformation that's happening. God is building his church as Jesus Christ promised he would. The most exciting thing for me is when we get to do baptisms, we meet at the Queensway Cineplex right there at Islington and the Queensway in Toronto, and we set up this baptism tank in the middle of this theater lobby, and there's Tim Hortons, and there's snack concessions happening. There's people who work at the theater. They're wondering, what is all this water here for? And what are these people so excited about? And yet, again and again, Professions of Faith, Jesus Christ is saving lives, and that theater is giving us a unique opportunity with some people and minister to some people as well. It's funny. We have three little children, and no matter where we are, no matter what city we are in, driving in the car, if they see a Cineplex theater, they say, Harvest Bible Chapel! Harvest Bible Chapel! I say, no kids, no, no. Not every Cineplex is a Harvest Bible Chapel. Right? Not Harvest Kids today. We're not going to Harvest Kids today. But we're so thankful for each and every one of you, and again, for the privilege and opportunity to be here. Would you join me in prayer? I believe God has a word for us today, and I want you to believe that as well, that God has a word from His word for us, and we need His help, and we'll call on Him right now. Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, we call on Your name. You said that we can call to You, and You will answer us. And you will show us great and hidden things we have not known. Lord, today we pray that you would show us great and hidden things we've not known. Open the eyes of our hearts. Open the eyes of our hearts that we may see you and behold your glory and your majesty. Stir up in us affection for you and love for you. I pray, O God, that what you would find for yourself here are people who would humble themselves under your mighty hand. That as we all do that, you would speak to us You would touch us in the way we need to be touched. We would experience you today in a way that we need to experience you. God, would you do that, we pray. Would you do that for your glory, for your namesake, for your fame and your renown, for the name of Jesus Christ and the gospel of Jesus Christ. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. And if you agree, say amen. 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 Well, we're going to be in Psalm 63. Psalm 63 this morning, if you have a Bible, you can turn there, Psalm 63, we're going to tackle one verse, Psalm 63, verse 1, but before we do that, I just want us to do a quick, quick heart examination, -examination. self-examination, want us all to be honest with ourselves, if we are truly honest with ourselves this morning, some of us in this room would admit that we are broken, we're broken in our hearts today. If we're honest with ourselves, some of us would admit right now, today, this morning, that we are tired, or maybe physically tired, we're perhaps spiritually tired, we are just fatigued in our hearts. If we're really honest with ourselves this morning, some would admit even this morning that they are completely dissatisfied in life. The preacher is always telling me I can find satisfaction in the Christian life, But, but if you're honest with yourself, you would admit I'm not finding that, I'm dissatisfied. And some of us, perhaps, in this room today would acknowledge that by the standards of the world, we have many of the things this world says satisfies our hearts, but we wake up every single morning with a sense of emptiness. We're hollow inside. And what we need these summer months is to tap into the truth that sets us free. What we need during these summer months is to tap into the truth that brings our hearts and our souls deep, rich, and true rest. What we need is the truth of God's word that truly satisfied our idolatrous hearts so often turn away, and what we need to do today, this summer, is to very simply bow our knees again before the God of our salvation and say again with a settled conviction in our hearts, it's God himself that I need. It's God and God alone that satisfies me it's God and God alone that I must run after and desire and pursue it's not a vacation that I need today although rest is good it's not more material things that I need today although those things are not bad in and of themselves it's not more friendships that I need today although friendships are a good thing given to us from the Lord It's not that our circumstances would always go well and be favorable, although that would be nice, wouldn't it? What we need truly, what we need supremely, what we need ultimately, what we need most fundamentally today is that our hearts would be satisfied in none other than God himself, the sufficient one, the all-satisfying one, the only one who can satisfy the deepest longings of our hearts. We need loved ones to pursue a desire for God. We need to pursue a greater love for God. We need to pursue a greater uh, heart that says, I want God more. And so if you have, again, your Bibles, look with me right now. It's Psalm 63. And if you're still turning there, I just want to give you a bit of the context. King David is the author of Psalm 63. And he is, as I said, the king. And, and it's actually a deep prayer David is in the wilderness of Judah and while he's the king, he's running like a fugitive because his own son Absalom is plotting a conspiracy against him. He wants to kill him. He wants to overthrow him. He wants to take over the kingdom. And David, in the midst of the wilderness of Judah, running like a fugitive, although he is the king, writes this prayer or prays this prayer from the depths of his soul, from the depths of his heart, and what we find is something amazing We find that in the midst of the most difficult or some of the most uh, hard circumstances in the life of King David, he finds his soul satisfied in God. He finds his heart renewed in God. He finds his spiritual strength and vitality increasing. He is being filled by none other than the all-satisfying one, God himself. And and here's the life-changing truth for all of us today that can be the reality of our lives. You may be going through some hard difficult circumstances and the things around you are crumbling and you don't know what to do next. Regardless of our circumstances, we can experience true soul satisfaction such that we need nothing else. Our hearts are satisfied. Psalm 63 verse 1. David prays this and says, "O oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you. As in a dry and weary land. Where there is no water. I'm going to recite it again. Oh God, you are my God. David says in the midst of crumbling circumstances. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. Here, loved ones, is a life-changing truth for us this morning. Are you ready? True satisfaction in this life can only come through, write this down, through desiring God. True satisfaction in your life, in my life, in this life, can only come through desiring God. On the screen for you, James Montgomery Boyce wrote this in his commentary. He wrote, there are three types of people in any Christian gathering. There are those who are Christians in name only. They seem to be following after God and Jesus Christ and say they are, but theirs is a false following. The second class are those who are following Jesus but are following at a distance like Peter at the time of Jesus' arrest. The third type are those who, as Murdoch Campbell suggests, in storm and sunshine, cleave to him and enjoy daily communion with him. These people want God, and they want him intensely because they know that he and he alone will satisfy the deep longing of their souls. David was a person who desired God above everything else in Psalm 63, is a classic expression of this longing. Notice verse 1 in the text. David says and prays, O God, you are my God. This first line lays a strong foundation for the rest of Psalm 63. You need to notice the very personal nature of the prayer. He says, O God, you are my God. He doesn't say, oh God, you are a God. He doesn't say, oh God, you are the God. He says, oh God, you are my God. It's interesting that in the Hebrew, the words my God are actually the same words Jesus used on the cross when he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It shows us the level of personal intimacy with which David calls out to his God. He has grown to know God very personally. He's grown to be on a pursuit of God that's a very intimate pursuit. Why? Why does he pursue God? Why does, has he grown to know God very personally? Why? Because he wants God. Because he desires God. He desires God not just as some side thing, some, some side extracurricular thing that I'll do. He wants God so intensely. This is the aim of his life that he would pursue God above all things. And the question for us this morning the question we need to wrestle with, the question we're being confronted with immediately this morning is this. Do you want God? I'm not asking you if you enjoy coming to church. I'm not asking if you want to participate in a ministry of some kind. I'm not asking if you want greater influence for God. I'm asking you this question. Do you want God himself? Do you Desire God. Notice what's happening here. David is affirming his ongoing pursuit of God. Even in the midst of some of the most devastating moments of his life, when his own son has turned against him to kill him, I can't imagine any of my two boys turning against me and trying to kill me and take my life and overthrow me and take what's, what's mine, which is already theirs anyways. I, I can't imagine the pain that would be in that. But even when everything around him is crumbling, David is very focused He's fixed on a singular pursuit. His heart is set on God. Why? Because he wants God. Why? Because he understands that only God can satisfy the deepest longings of his heart. He understands that a correction in the circumstance is not ultimately what's going to help him. He understands that if all things change and his son comes back to him, that's not ultimately what he needs. What he needs ultimately and supremely is what only God can give, the deep satisfaction that his soul needs. David understands something, listen, that many Christians fail to grasp for an entire lifetime. David understands something that many Christians fail to run after for an entire lifetime. It's that God and God alone is the deep source of blessing in my life, not the things that he gives me, but God himself, the all-sufficient one. David understands that the key to a satisfied life is not good circumstances. David understands that a key to a satisfied life is not more material wealth. David understands that the key to a satisfied life is not more comfort. The key to a satisfied life is found in his pursuit of God that's compelled by his desire for God. And so we need to ask ourselves that question, do we desire God do we want God because we need to understand the whole point of being saved in Jesus Christ is not that we get heaven one day though the whole glory of the Christian life is not even that we've been forgiven from our sin although we revel in that and we glory in the cross of Christ the beauty and the glory of the Christian life is that we actually get God himself We get God, we get the all-sufficient one. We get him, not just the benefits of God. We get God, we get him. We get a personal relationship with him. We have personal knowledge of him. He reveals himself to us. He teaches us. He comes alongside us. He embraces us. He pours his grace into our lives. He gives us the thing that we need most. He gives us himself. So many of us are chasing byproducts, we're chasing other things, we're chasing things that don't satisfy, and God is there saying, look, look, I'm giving you me. When Jesus died on the cross and his blood was shed and the the curtain was torn in the temple so that access can be given to God, you need to understand we have the greatest treasure that this world could ever have. We have God himself. We need to be on a pursuit of this God who has made himself known to us, who pursues us, who loves us. Do you want God? Do you desire him most fundamentally? Do you desire him, to be with him, to be alone in his presence, to understand more of who he is, to tap into more of who he is through his word, and the Spirit of God in our times alone with Him? Do you long to get away so you can be with Him? Do you long to run away to a desolate and quiet place as Jesus Christ models for us so often, to be with God because He is awesome? The key to a satisfied life is desiring God Himself. True satisfaction in life can only come through desiring God. But secondly, true satisfaction in life can only come through, you can write this down, diligence towards God. Not only desiring God, but diligence towards God. Notice the text in verse 1. He says, O oh God, you are my God. And here it is. He says, earnestly I seek you earnestly I seek you. Other translations say, early will I seek you. The dictionary defines the word earnestly this way, in a serious manner, being very sincere, putting forth genuine effort. The Hebrew word earnestly right in the text means to long for, to look for, to carefully seek. David is saying, oh God, you are my God. I'm looking for you. I'm longing for you. I want to see you clearly. I want to know what you're doing in my life right now. I, I long for you. I'm earnestly seeking you. That's what David is doing. And the wording communicates that David took his relationship with God very seriously His thoughts towards God are very sincere and authentic. His heart towards God was very earnest, and in a time of deep pain and anguish, he diligently looks for God as the only one who can give his heart what his heart really needs, his soul satisfaction. Our lives are satisfied as we desire God, but our lives are satisfied as we place ourselves on a pursuit of diligently Diligently pursuing God. This means David is not playing games with God. He, he's not thinking about other things that are really not important. And the, the life that diligently pursues God is not the life that wakes up in the morning and, and first thing you grab is your, your silly iPhone or that smartphone. You want to see what the whole world has to say, but God is there. God is waiting. David's not playing games. David is serious. He's serious. He's seriously pursuing God with diligence, with effort. He's running after him with all he has. This is what God is calling us to. A.W. Tozer wrote this. The impulse to pursue God originates with God, but the outworking of that impulse is our following hard after him. And so God saves us graciously. In his divine sovereign initiative, he comes down, he rescues us from our sin, he saves us, he calls us to himself, and now the outworking of that amazing grace that we've received is this, that I diligently run after him, and I can love him because he first loved me, he loved me, he loved you, he saved us, and now we can run after him. Prior to him reaching down and saving us, we're running away from him. We're hostile towards him. We hate him. We want nothing to do with him, but he saves us. He opens our eyes. He illuminates our hearts. He awakens our dead hearts, and now we're alive. We're awake, and now we can run towards him with diligence. He doesn't save us to play games. He doesn't save us to run after other things that don't satisfy. He opens our eyes to the only thing that can satisfy, and that's a diligent pursuit after him. But one of the reasons we don't experience the deep satisfaction in the Christian life that God intends for us is because so often we're approaching it with a sense of duty and apathy and complacency and a lack of energy which only makes the idols all around us which are shouting our names more attractive. It makes God less attractive when the opposite is in fact true. The idols of this world have nothing to offer us But God himself is everything to us. God himself is everything to us. It was John Piper who said this, if you don't feel strong desires for the manifestation of the glory of God, it's not because you've drunk deeply and are satisfied. It's because we've nibbled so long at the table of the world. Our soul is stuffed with small things and there is no room for the great And the truth of the matter is that perhaps some of us in this room are sitting down at the table of the world. And we're munching on the the, the sin of the world. We're we're munching on self-indulgence. We're we're munching on the things that we think will satisfy us. We're munching on the appetizers that seem like they will bring great satisfaction to our hearts, but they are totally disappointing, always, every time, totally disappointing. But if we would just get up from that lazy table of the world, and if we would just take a short walk over to the feast, the five-course meal, the nutritious, filling, satisfying delicacies of a diligent pursuit after God. We'll find all our hearts were created to be content in. We'll find all that we've ever needed and all that we've ever wanted in God himself, because at that table, we will be met by sufficiency himself. It's God. It's God himself, and he's there, and he's summoning you and me, and he's beckoning us every day. And if you're like me, you can sense, you child of God, you can sense and, 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 and discern the calling of God towards the word of God every day. You can sense and feel his calling you and trying to usher you towards himself in prayer. And so often we turn away, don't we? We turn away towards other things. What awaits the child of God each day is soul satisfaction, regardless of what you're facing today. It doesn't matter what you're facing today. I don't trivialize what you're facing, but it doesn't have any impact on the fact that your soul can be satisfied in Jesus Christ. If the child of God would put off the immaturity that's drawn to the wide, easy road of sin, make a decision of the will each day to follow hard, to follow diligently, to follow seriously after God. Now, some of you are sitting here and you're saying... Um, Yeah, I want that. I do. Many days come and go, and I want that, but I don't get there and I don't experience it. Some of you are asking the million dollar question, which is how? How? How can I grow in a diligent pursuit of God? I just want to give you two things that are found, I believe, in this verse and subsequently throughout Psalm 63. To grow in a diligent pursuit of God. Is that you? You want to grow in a pursuit of God? A diligent pursuit of God. To grow in a diligent pursuit of God, I must, you can write this down, I must refocus my worship. I must refocus my worship. Growing in our pursuit of God is not a matter of duty. It's not a matter even of hard work in and of itself. Growing in a diligent pursuit of God is ultimately and fundamentally a matter of worship. It's a matter of worship. Each day will I worship social media by spending idle hours there, or will I worship God by diligently pursuing him? Each day, will I worship sports by spending my entire life on it, or will I worship God by diligently pursuing Him? Each day, will I worship my friends by prioritizing their opinions of me, or will I worship God by diligently pursuing Him? What we find in Psalm 63 is true worship emanating from David's heart towards God, and that's the heart of the matter. John Piper describes Psalm 63 in a way that was helpful for me. He describes Psalm 63 as being broken up into two main categories. The first category can be described as fainting for God, longing for God, wanting to want God. The second category he calls is is feasting upon God. There's fainting in Psalm 63. There's feasting in Psalm 63. In verses 1 to 4, we see David fainting for God. God, I don't feel that you're near. God, I don't understand what's happening in my life right now. I'm longing for you. I'm thirsty for you. Show yourself to me, God. He's, he's longing. And then in verses 5 to 9, we find that he's feasting on God. His soul is richly satisfied in God. And John Piper suggests what I agree with wholeheartedly is what this passage is telling us is that fainting for God is our form of worship when we feel like God is distant. Feasting upon God is our form of worship when we sense that God is near. But what happens to us so often when we feel like God is distant? We skip the fainting for God. We skip the longing for God. We skip the pursuing God and we want to get to the feasting part, don't we? And so we find that if our heart is not immediately feeling like God is close, if our heart is not immediately sensing that God is near, if we're not with our minds comprehending completely what God is doing in our lives, we find ourselves bailing out on worshiping God. We fail to worship through fainting and longing after him. We end up misplacing our worship, we end up at the idol factory. I don't feel like God is near. I don't feel like he's close by. I don't know what he's doing in my life. This thing is all falling apart. I'm going to go somewhere else to see if my soul can be satisfied. And if you're like me, you find there is absolutely nothing in the idol factory that meets the need of your heart. Nothing. Nothing. David faints for God. He longs for God. His focus is on worshiping God through fainting, through longing, but also later through feasting. And you'll find that in the seasons of fainting for God and longing for God, it's, it's, not, it's not long before God responds to his child and begins to show you how satisfied your soul can be. If you, would wait, if you would wait in the posture of worship, if you would long for him, if you would even say, God, I don't really want you right now, but I want to want you, I don't even desire you right now, but I desire to desire you more. If that would be the prayer of your heart, that would be worship in the form of fainting after God. And with that type of focused worship, you'll find your soul being richly satisfied. You'll find your soul feasting upon God not before long. Maybe some of us here are at the idol factory. Maybe you're thinking, a new car will relieve the dissatisfaction of my heart, Surely. Maybe you're thinking a new house, maybe a new renovation. That's going to solve the problem of my dissatisfaction in my heart. Maybe you're thinking a new sexual relationship. Surely that will solve the loneliness of my heart that I'm experiencing right now. Listen, none of these things will do. None. None. Nothing. Only God. Don't move away from God when you feel like he's distant. Believe the truth of God's word that says while he is transcended, he is imminent, he is near. He's always near. He's particularly near to the broken hearted, God's word tell us. Don't believe your feelings. Believe the truth of God's word. And as you believe the truth of God's word, worship him through a life that longs for him. If you feel like he's not near you today, long for him, faint for him, seek him, pursue him, discipline your life to be in a diligent pursuit after God. That is the key to a satisfied life. And not before long, your heart will rejoice. Say, thank you, God. You've satisfied me. Thank you, God. You've satisfied me. Thank you, God. I see with new eyes how satisfying you are. To grow in a diligent pursuit of God, we must refocus our worship. Maybe you need to do that today. It's misplaced. It's out of focus. You need to refocus your worship, perhaps through fainting for God. Maybe you're in the place of feasting on God today. Worship him. The second thing we need to do to grow in a diligent pursuit of God is this not only to refocus my worship, but this, to recommit to prayer. To recommit to prayer. We can't miss the most obvious reality of Psalm 63. The most obvious reality of Psalm 63 is that it is a prayer. It is a prayer from the heart of David to his God. Fundamental to David's worship and fundamental to David's diligent pursuit of God is prayer because he is convinced that God is listening when he prays. David has learned that where there is prayer, there is a vibrant relationship with God. But where there is prayerlessness, there is only complacency and apathy and lethargy. Why, you may ask, why? Why this constant emphasis on prayer in this church? Why this constant emphasis on prayer through God's word? Why is this thing all about, it's hard for me to pray, maybe you say. It's hard for me to pray. I wish there was another emphasis. I wish there could be something else we could focus on that can strengthen us in a diligent pursuit after God. Maybe you're here, you're saying, it's just hard for me to pray. Why this constant emphasis on prayer here? Because prayerlessness is indicative of idolatry. Prayerlessness is indicative of Of idolatry. Where there is a lack of prayer in the life of God's people, it shines a light on us that shows us we are depending somewhere else. Where there is prayerlessness in the heart of the child of God, it shows us again we are placing our hope somewhere else. It's somewhere else. It's going somewhere else because it's not going towards God in dependent prayer. Because prayer is the expression of the heart that says, I need you. I can't do this by myself. I need you right now. I'm longing for you right now. And where there is prayerlessness, surely there is idolatry. Because if we're not depending on God in prayer, we are surely depending somewhere else. And that's big news for some of us today. Because maybe for a long time you've been depending on the shipment at the idol factory. What's coming in today that I can depend on? Can I depend on my wife? I'll depend on my wife today. Can I depend on my kids? I'll depend on my kids today. Can I depend on my job? Yeah, it's paying me really well. Let me depend on my job today. Can I depend on my health? Yeah, I'm in good shape. Let me depend on my health. Can I depend on what is it for you that you are depending on? What is it that you've taken off the shelf at the idol factory? That God says, put it down. Put it down and recommit yourself to prayer. David understands this in the midst of the wilderness of Judah. David understands that there's only one person he can lean on and depend upon, and he leans on and depends upon the God of his salvation, the God with whom he's in covenant relationship with, and in the midst of all the tragedy of his life, he calls out to God. He says, oh God, you are my God. Earnestly, earnestly, I seek you. David could have devised a number of strategies in the wilderness to help him in his moment of need, But he understands the only strategy that works for his heart is dependence upon God in prayer. And in this room today, I would believe as God is calling me every single day to recommit myself to prayer, God is calling people in this room to recommit to prayer, to refocus our worship, to faint for God, to long for God in worship, but to recommit ourselves to prayer when it's difficult to pray, when it's hard to pray, when you feel like God is distant, when you don't feel like sitting and waiting and being patient in prayer. That will be a key to living a satisfied life in God, the all-satisfying one. So let me ask you a question. Are you like David today? Are you in a wilderness of sorts? Are you going through a difficult circumstance? Are you in a position where you feel like God is distant, you don't feel like he's near? You wonder, is he around? Does he hear me? Does he know what I'm going through? If you're in a wilderness of your own, God's word to us is this. Would you just refocus and become what you are? a worshiper of Jesus Christ. Be true to who you are. Don't live in ways that are inconsistent with your salvation. Live in ways that are consistent with who God says you are. Worship the one true God. Long for him. Faint for him. Feast upon him. And seek him earnestly, diligently. Husbands, you get your wives and you pray with them. Wives, you gather your children. Husbands, you gather your families. You pray together. You teach these little ones what it means that we need God every single day. Those will be fundamental to a diligent pursuit of God. And chances are, if you find yourself distant from God today, it's probably because your worship is misplaced and there's prayerlessness happening in your life. We can return to him today. We can. Isn't it an awesome reality that he stands with his arms open wide to his children? Isn't it an awesome truth that God is not standing in heaven to condemn us, but there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus? Isn't that a beautiful reality? Doesn't that make you just want to get up and run towards God and say, I want to live for you like I've never lived for you before? This is the God that waits for you. This is the God that calls you. This is the God that summons you right now, today, in this service, to recommit yourself to him and find yourself on a diligent pursuit after. After Him, because true satisfaction in life can only come through desiring God, through diligence towards God. And finally, you can write the, jot this down. True satisfaction in life can only come through, write this down, desperation for God. Desperation for God. Notice verse 1. He says, Oh God, you are my God, earnestly I seek you. Here it is. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you. As in a dry and weary land where there is no water. Notice the imagery in the passage. Thirst in a dry and weary land where there is no water. David is describing a state of great neediness and desperation. He's painting a picture for us of the state of desperation that his heart is in. He describes his spiritual desperation by saying, my soul thirsts for you. It's thirsty. It's thirsty. I need you, God. Give me the living water that satisfies the thirst of my soul. And he describes his physical desperation when he says, my flesh is fainting for you. My flesh faints for you. The totality of who he is, is seeking God, is pursuing God, is desperate for God. That's what he's saying. He's painting a picture for us. As in a dry and weary land where there is no water. Like As if I'm in a dry and weary land where there is no water. That's how much my soul thirsts for you and my flesh faints for you. The totality of who I am wants you, God. Wants all that you have for me. On the screen for you is a picture of the wilderness of Judah where David found himself. But think for a moment. Think for a moment what it would be like to be in a dry, hot, weary land where there is no water. Just think about that. You're there physically. You're there all alone. You don't know how to get out of there and there is no water and it's very hot. Think about what it would feel like just for a moment to experience the highest point of thirst. Just think about that. Think about what it would feel like to be experiencing the anguish in your heart and the psychological anguish of knowing that there is no water anywhere. Think about it. At the very least, it's an utterly desperate situation, isn't it? It's an utterly desperate situation because water is a necessity for us to live. It's a necessity of life. And David is painting the picture here to show us again How desperate we must be, how desperate we must be to find our soul satisfied in Him. You can't be like, yeah, I kind of want God, but I really want these other things. You can't be like, yeah, you know, the new car, it really makes me feel good. I like this, and I'll go to church on Sunday, and and I'll, I'll serve in a ministry. I'll even join a small group. That'll be, that'll be great. But man, I, I, after a small group, I get in my car and that's when, it's all, you know, that's when it's on. I love my car. That's not desperation. Desperation is like, I, I can't live without you, God. I can't breathe the next breath without you. you understand that? You can't breathe your next breath without Him. Your heart is beating, it's beating, it's beating. Every beat of your heart is orchestrated by God. He sustains the whole world by the word of his power. We are so utterly needy and desperate of him, but the problem with us is we fail to often feel our need for him because physically we have what we need in the Western world. We have the prosperity. We have the resources. We have what many people around the globe don't have, and it's easy to lean on those things. It's hard for us to really feel how needy we really are But we are. We are needy. We are, in fact, desperately needy. If you and I, loved ones, want to find our soul satisfied in God like nothing else can satisfy, we have to be in a posture of desperation that understands how desperate we are for God. When you wake up in the morning, you're like, God, I thank you for this soft bed that I got to sleep in last night. Without you, I can't have any of this. Thank you that I had a pillow. You go down to your kitchen. Thank you, God. I can drink water. Thank you, Lord. There's food here. I can't believe I get to go to a job today. You're providing for my need. I'm so desperate for you. And the heart that's so desperate for God is a heart that's so thankful for all the things he provides for you because you understand you can not achieve it on your own. You need him. He's done it all for you. He's done it all for me. He is awesome. He is kind. He is great. But we so often fail to feel that need. I do. And uh, there's an old hymn that I love to think about, that I love to sing even, that I love to worship to, that helps me in times that that I don't really feel the need that I need to feel, I don't really feel desperate, I don't really know my desperation. There's a, a hymn that I love to sing. It helps refocus me. It helps bring me back to the place of desperation. It helps tune my heart to the reality that I need God. And I was gonna read the lyrics for you today and, and just say, like, listen to the lyrics, but I thought maybe it'd maybe be more powerful to, to, to have it sung over us today, it's, it's a beautiful hymn and if you want to bow your head and close your eyes and do whatever you want to do, it's totally up to you there's nothing mystical or magical about that but, but maybe just say a quick prayer, Lord would you show me how needy I am for you right now God will do it right now So God show me how desperate I am right now, take a listen
1: I- Most great
0: That we are living in desperate times, but also some of the most exciting times. With each passing day, we realize what we need most is not political, it's not economic, it's not material in nature. What we need most is completely spiritual in nature. We need to feel our need for God and find our rest in God alone and experience the satisfaction that only God can give. And so many of us in this room want that today. So many of us in this room long for that today. And maybe right now, God is calling you to Himself. Say, "Come, come to Me. I'll show you how needy you are, and I'll meet you at your point of need. I'm not going to leave you there. I'll meet you at your point of need. I'm going to take care of you and take your heart to where it needs to be and cause your heart to glorify Me, cause your life." to glorify me. And we can respond today like David in the wilderness of Judah. We can say, O oh God, you are my God. Earnestly, I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water this summer I believe can be the greatest summer of your life great not because of a vacation great not because you had good rest those things are good but great because you've learned to pursue God like never before most spiritual in this room you can learn to pursue God like never before the baby Christian in this room you can learn to pursue God like you've never pursued him before this is for all of us this summer could be life changing. If you want that, then bow your heads with me right now. We'll just ask God for it. Father, right now, in the name of Jesus Christ, we pray that you would continue to move in the hearts of your people in this room. Many in this room want you, Lord. They want you. Many in this room perhaps have been chasing the idols of this world and find their hearts coming up short every time. Even in subtle ways, oh God, I pray that you would shine the light of your word on all of our hearts. Would our prayer be today, Lord, we want to want you more. We want to need you more. We want to be aware of our desperation for you. Would you, O God, by the power of your Holy Spirit, cause each person in this room to in a new and fresh way pursue you diligently and desperately as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. We trust your work to do this in our hearts. And we say... With all of our hearts, we love you and we need you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.